Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game about hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode of the podcast, we, uh, we're going to talk about something that, to be honest, I really didn't consider that other people didn't just subconsciously do with every force they ever make. Um, I think this is a topic that I've kind of discounted for a long time because I just assumed everybody did it. But John told me that my brain's just busted. So y'all might not necessarily do this constantly. Can't relate. <laughs> but we're going to talk about creating a narrative for your tabletop force. And we're trying to keep this a little vague because I don't think it just applies to 40k or Age of Sigmar. I think... This is a thing that you can do, and I would argue you maybe should do, for any tabletop system out there that you're playing. Yeah, I think that it it is useful for playing any game, not just war games. Uh, you know, Infinity, Star Wars Legion, they have a little bit of concrete factions in them, less flexible. Um, same thing with like Malifaux. Like 40k and Age of Sigmar, they they're a lot more fluid. But even doing things like playing Magic and like that, but it helps with that. Mm -hmm. Had a lot of Magic on the brain because I play Magic, but or the or like BattleTech or anything. Like you're usually BattleTech. It's all your own lore. Yeah, I mean you're making your own company, <clears throat> and I think when you have the opportunity to do so. It could be helpful to just make your own force. And it's something that I always do so that I could think of the story because I always want to tell a story on a tabletop. Um, but for people out there who maybe aren't so used to it or maybe don't know if it's really worth it, we thought it might be worth breaking down at least how we do it, why we do it, and what we think it might do for all of y'all out there in listener land. But first, got to talk about hobby time and games played. So, John, hobby time. What you been up to? So, I haven't gotten any painting recently. Uh, I've still been setting up stuff in the new house, but I have been doing hobby stuff in that I've been accumulating materials to start making terrain to build my own table. Mm -hmm. uh, I have bought up the materials for said table and working on that within the space and organizing and setting everything up so that I am just ready to rock it forward. Um, the next thing I will be doing is buying an airbrush and then I will start painting like a madman and start building terrain like a madman and using the airbrush to paint said terrain I build like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here, John. Yeah. Um, I kind of underestimated just how much time and like money and effort it would take to get the space where I wanted it before I could start like really kicking the gear up mm -hmm. for painting. So... Once that's done, I can just push on through. Yeah, I'm glad that you're uh, you're making some good progress because you're nearing the end of the bullying grace period for hobbying. Uh, so, you yeah. know, once we hit the deadline, I'm just going to have to bully you mercilessly to paint. Uh, but uh, So I'm, I'm glad that you're on track to meet it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, 
I'll probably still end up getting bullied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But at least then I'll be prepared for the bully. This is true. This is true. I mean, you bullied me into like pulling out an old force. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. God, what a turd. But yeah, I'm glad the space, like the hobby room is at least like coming together because it is an endeavor to sort of get it ready. Help, mine's definitely not even fully put together. It's just functional. Yeah. And once I have like a airbrush, all the base coats so much quicker. So many things will just be a faster process. Mm-hmm. And then I can spend that time I was spending painting base coats, I can do in details and be much more happy with my work. Yeah, the airbrush is immensely helpful just for laying down like your biggest color, zenithal highlighting, doing some like three or four color workups before you pull out the brush. Man, it's a world of difference. It really helps your work elevate to a whole new level. That's how I've been working on orcs, which for my hobby time, that's, that's been my hobby time. It's orcs. It's just, it's, it's orcs. It's Orktober. Orcs. It is Orktober. Um, I will admit, I, I haven't had as much time over the past week as I would like to. Uh, this past Sunday evening, not even three weeks to us being in the house, I found a leak coming from the ceiling of our kitchen. And uh, we had a plumber out immediately, found out it was all bad. It was real bad. <laughs> it was coming from the toilet, and it was the bad kind of leak. And it has been a stressful week since then. Um, just trying to like get everything handled and mitigation, and now working on restoration. It's It's been a little bonkers over here at the house. However, even with that, I've still managed to hobby. Um I've been working on that block of 20 boys. There hasn't been a whole lot of updates on Instagram just because it doesn't look really interesting. Like, yeah, tonight I painted some metals. <laughs> like, it's it's not like I'm proclaiming something new here. I've just been blocking everything out and doing the base coats. And uh, last night I got all of the base coats done that I'm going to do. And uh, for the first 10 of the 20 boys, I... Uh, started on the weathering step. Um, this time around, I didn't want to use like uh, acrylic washes like Games Workshop or Army Painter. I really wanted to try enamels because everybody and their brother has talked about like AK Interactive streaking grime and how good it can make your models look if you want, uh, want them to look a little darker or dusty. And that's exactly what I want my orcs to look like. I want them to look dusty and world-weary. So... I base coated everything all over. And then last night I came in with the airbrush and sprayed a good layer of this streaking grime all over them and like turned them completely brown. And then came in with a Q-tip and some uh, stripper and started pulling the streaking grime off of all the elevated areas. And uh, John, it looked good. Yeah, it's a very good technique. I'm looking forward to trying it sometime too. I also want to do pigments. Like, I'm going to do some pigment stuff. Oh, yeah. I was just looking at YouTube videos for that yesterday. It, pigment stuff looks great. Now that I have a space, I can buy so many more, like, knickknacks. Be like, I'm going to experiment with this thing and do this weird thing. Very exciting. Basing is going to be a fun, fun experiment. Yeah, that's what I have to do next to the orc. So, I've got 10 boys completely done. I've just got to put the AK Interactive Grime on the other 10 and peel it off. And then that'll be the 20 boys done as far as paint goes. But of course, then I'm going to have to come in and base them so that they look cool. And uh, yeah, 
after that, that'll be 20 boys locked, loaded, to ready to go. And I was going to move on to painting pigs until John bullied me into putting something else at the hobby table, you jerk. Hey, uh, what can I say? I'm an asshole. <laughs> We're planning another, like, boys get together um, next month. We're going to have some friends in town. And uh, we're going to play all weekend in the new house, and I'm looking forward to it. And I put up, like, two options for forces that I could play because people want to play 40k. And I'm like, hey, do you want, like, do people want to play with or alongside, like, my salamanders? Which are the force that are, the thousand points are almost completely done. Or, like, I guess I have custodies as well. But I'd have to do quite a bit to get ready for that. And of course, John gets everybody to vote custodies. Fuck! Um, So now I am, once I get the 20 boys done, move them off the table. Then I'm throwing custodies on the table to try to get them readied up for for November's boys weekend. So I can take shadow keepers and chuck them at people's faces. Custodies are a quick paint job anyways. When I come visit you in a few weeks to play games, like you're probably just going to put a bunch of guardsmen in my hands and go paint these in a few weeks, you plebeian, and I know it's coming. Yes. Like, yes, fine. it is. I've done some like, of the work for you, but you're going to have to finish them. You're going to have to paint these this like 60 models by November. You got three weeks. Have fun. Ha <laughs> ha, turd. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get my revenge. Um, I will say, I also it's gonna force me to hook up my 3D printer uh, because I I'm gonna need Ooh, a. Oh no! I have to have to activate my 3D printer. <laughs> yeah, but to do that, that means I have to clean the basement. <laughs> um, I mean, that's fair. So, like, I have to clean the basement to ready the area for the printer, and then get the printer unloaded and hooked up and calibrated and. Up and running because I'm gonna need a dreadnought for this list. Uh, so I'm gonna print one and then paint that fella and get him up and running. I also got three jet bikes coming in that I'm gonna have to paint. And uh, yeah, it's I don't know if I'll get it all painted come November, but I think I'll get a lot of it painted, and that's what counts. Uh, but I will admit it does feel good to have like an event to paint towards. It just does. I am. I'm the kind of person who likes having something to, like, work towards, and these little, like, get-togethers really do that well. So, yeah, uh, there'll be some posts on Instagram for the orcs, and then there'll probably be a short break where I'm posting custodies pictures. And, uh, once I get the custodies, like, that roughly a thousand points done, it'll be back to orcs! Super fun. And once I start chugging on through actually getting mm. some painting work done, once my stuff's all ready and I get bullied a lot, I'll start posting stuff on Instagram too. It'll be great. Darn tootin'. Bully you into having to post stuff for our viewers to engage with. Yes. Well, sounds like we're going to be real busy. We're always really busy when it comes to hobby stuff. We can't even let ourselves get like half busy. We have to keep our plates entirely full. And that's not including, like, the table I have to build for Boys Weekend. Hey, you know what? If we're busy, we can't complain about not being busy. (laughs) That's true. I won't be bored. I will always have something to work on. (laughs) And not just do I have to build the table. John, we got to build narratives. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do.
Alright, John. So, build narratives. I guess we should start this by talking about what do we really mean when we say, like, build a narrative for your force? Do we mean uh, write a 10-page paper on every single foot troop that you have with a name and background? Maybe. Do we mean write a 38-page dissertation about the socioeconomic factors that made your force? I don't want to be attacked like this, Joe. Do we mean write an unpublished novel that will never see the light of day about your army? We weren't going to talk about this on the show. I don't know why you're choosing to talk about this on the show. <laughs> John, you outed yourself. I simply opened yeah. the door. You walked through. I know. I know. I know. You you held the door open for me as I just watched, walked in and exposed myself to an entire listener base of, I'm really bad at releasing my projects I work on. <laughs> I'm glad I can help I, you in this way. I hide them in a little closet where I keep like a folder of all this stuff and be like, yeah, I wrote 47 pages of like a a short like novel. Yeah, but I'm never going to show anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess generally speaking, we can mean that if you're like John and you are of that particular neurotic persuasion. But generally speaking... It could be as simple or as broad as you like, but it means having a story in your head around why your force exists. And I think that's the key. You know, what are their motivations? Where are they from? What type of units do they like to have? Why might they like those? Do they have like an arch enemy? Why? Who is it? Uh, essentially, it's telling little stories in your head about your war dollies and making them feel a little more real. Because let's be honest, we kind of get attached to these models, right? You, yeah, yeah. You can't help it when you get this little plastic bit on the sprue and you bring it home and you lovingly clip it out and you file it carefully you fill in any mold lines that might be there, any imperfections to make them look whole. And you give them a, you know, a little thin coat of primer and you want to make sure it's not too thick and kind of make them nice and put together and pretty. And then for anywhere between like three hours to 20 hours per model, depending on the model, you go over it over and over gently with a bajillion paint coats to make it look beautiful you base it, you might do some conversions on it to make it look unique. And by the time you're done, you've been working on that model for hours. And in that time, you kind of get attached to it. <laughs> I'd say. Because it's yours. I mean, it is yours. It is your creation. You made it. And... I think that's one of the things people like about the army. Like, we don't just say, like, oh, yeah, these are custodies. No, these are my custodies. You know, maybe I made the paint scheme, or maybe I made them unique. They are mine. And I think as war gamers, it's one of the things that we enjoy about the hobby, is that it's ours. It's our unique creation, and it's something that's hard to recreate in some other hobbies, like video games or whatever. 
And yeah, and I think that it even transcends into like your community or like your playgroup, right? Like if mm-hmm. I remember playing in a shop a while back, like we had two separate orc players and what we knew one person's orcs was a specific kind of way and another person's orcs was another specific way. And so we would call like, well, that's so-and-so's orcs and that's so-and-so's orcs. Um, and then, you know, playing later on in life, I would like make friends who would then like write narratives for their forces. And instead of referencing them as so-and-so's orcs, it is, this is the lore that they have because we've shared it with each other and we talk about it. And then we like, build narratives together with our with our guys um like i've done that with our editor seth right like i'm making a space marine chapter that exists in the same system as his necrons that are you know they have fought each other on occasion and there's a history there and we'll have similar like little bits that we put on each other's models like that can be really fun to engage in the hobby with a community or like a play group in a way that isn't just playing the game right Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, you really get into almost, if, if if your community is of this persuasion, you could almost get into a collaborative storytelling through these forces if everybody really, are unique. And some people really want to do that, but it can be a bit awkward or a bit, like, intimidating to, to bring it up to your, your, your friends. And maybe this helps, like, push that along. Because that's... It took me years to be able to start doing that, but it was so much fun when I was able to. Mm-hmm. It's it's as much fun as even playing the games because we can be like, oh, yeah, my guys, my guys do this. And like, oh, yeah, my guys do this. It's like being like 12 all over again and playing make pretend war in the fucking playground. Yeah, dude. I mean, it really does remind me of be, like playing, being at the park in the dirt playing with your G.I. Joes. Like, yeah, uh, just kind of telling a story together. And you're almost passing the baton back and forth. It's like, well, I'm going to tell this thing I did. Okay, your turn. You tell a thing that happened. Okay, now you told a thing. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to take the baton again, and I'm going to respond. And uh, you do tell these little stories, and uh, they can even evolve over time. Uh, and some characters become almost infamous in telling this. Uh, and it adds a new level of fun to your game. And... I think it does make every game narrative, no matter what you're playing, which is always interesting. Because I think when some people hear, like, oh, yeah, my force has a story for narrative games, they think, like, oh, God, we're going to throw all the rules out the window, and this is going to get really unbalanced. But y'all, it it doesn't have to. I mean, John and I almost always have the same points as one another, or super, super close. I mean, like, we're shooting for the same point value. Uh, we use all the same base rules. We're not throwing stuff out. Uh, we use the terrain rules appropriately. Um, you know, we Most follow. of the time we play with match play rules in general. Like we'll play with the match play missions and the rules and all the same stuff that the competitive players play with. But we just slap in a narrative in addition. Yeah. Because it's what helps it. It makes it more fun for us. We have a story on top of it. You know, there are going to be six objectives on the battlefield no matter what. Right. Like, they're going to be there. You might as well make them cool. Like, what are those objectives? Um, you know, I played against a buddy's Death Guard once, and we had six objectives. That was per the tournament pack. So we made each objective, we talked about it on the show before, a grain silo. And he was playing Death Guard. Um, so he was trying to corrupt the grain silos. That was the objectives he was pushing for. And we were trying to shove him back off of them so that we could 
keep the food supply untainted. Uh, mechanically, nothing changed. They were the same objectives in the same places. But the narrative made the game feel more tense and more interesting. We're not fighting over point number two. I'm fighting over a grain silo that's going to potentially feed the populace. And uh, anything I could do to get a little more fun out of my games, I'm for. And building a, a story for your force can help. But... Yeah. And like on the uh, absurd, absurd side of the spectrum, because it doesn't have to be serious, right? You can also just make it like hilarious and stupid and mm -hmm. comedy. Like I ran, when I was running a game where we were both playing and my opponent was playing Salamanders and he was coming to break up my house party that I was running as Black Legion on a planet. And he had to get through all the cultists that were drunk and partying. And Abaddon was the turbo chad that needed to be killed. Like, absurd. Like, like absolutely not canon. Absolutely insane. But it was full of, like, laughs. And it was funny. Where we were calling, like, these salamanders the space cops. Like, the, <laughs> like, like the, college, the college cops of space. Campus police. Trying to break up this party. Yeah, campus police. And it's just fun. Like, it's just a good time. And uh, I think that there's lots of space for that. It doesn't just have to be super serious, keep with the cannon. Like, it can be just just insane. Make-believe stupid nonsense. <laughs> I mean, we're playing with little plastic dolls, y'all. Like, we can't, no need to be too serious about it if you really don't want to. Um, yeah. And, I mean, if you're someone who, like, writing story comes easily, that's fine. You could get very specific with it. You can name each of your squads. And, like... You know, have a story for each of them and what their specialties are and name each of your characters and kind of know what their journey is. Or if you're someone who isn't that into it, it could be broad. Maybe you just name your general and uh, you name like the force as a whole and that's enough for you. You know what their general idea is and you keep on moving. Um, and also your army might lend to some of that. So, for example, uh, I'll take a 40k army for first. If you are playing Custodes or Space Marines, which are more elite, and you don't have very many units on the table, it might be a little more tempting to name each squad, because you only have a handful of them. And there's only a couple, and you probably only have one or two heroes. Sure, you can name them all, because there's not that many. But let's say you're playing uh, Soul Blight Gravelords, like you're playing Undead. Where you have like three vampire lords and then a horde of mindless skeletons. Well, in that case, you're probably you're not gonna name the skeleton regiments. Like they're they're mindless, bumbling skeletons and zombies. They're nobodies. But in that case, man, you're really tempted to name all three of your characters because they're the ones bringing vibrancy and life to the force. Um, and in that case, maybe you do only write stories for the three characters, but maybe you write. Like, all, quite a bit about them in your head. So you really know who they are and what their motivations. And in doing so, man, I think y'all can just have more fun. I think yeah. you can. And, but if we're going to talk about all this, kind of like, what is it? Uh, I think it behooves us to then talk about, all right, so if it's something we do, how do we do it? You know, if we were going to write a story for a force, what advice would we give somebody so that they can do it a little more easily? And for me, I think the first thing that I can tell you is to find inspiration. Um, yeah. Like, 
Inspiration is the fertilizer that makes this entire damn field of dreams grow. <laughs> you have to go out there and, I mean, you could get it from anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. Depending on, like, the game you're playing and uh, the where your force is from. There might be codexes or, like, faction books. Great place to start. Read through that. They usually have, like, little blurbs talking about specific instances or sub-factions. And reading through those can help you a whole lot to get an idea. Or, uh, if you're playing a game that has novels written about it, maybe read one of the novels that, are, that include the faction that you want to play. Uh, you know, some of those can go a long way to kind of amp you up to write about your force. Uh, for example, I'm listening to uh, Brutal Cunning, uh, which is like an audiobook that that's it's like the first book in 40k that's fully from an orc perspective. And my God, it is chaos incarnate, and it has made me very excited to build and paint my orcs and write their story. Just because you know there's other stuff going on in your head, and that is always helpful. Um, or if Either of the, maybe the game system you're playing doesn't have faction books. I'm surprised, but maybe it's out there. Or uh, maybe it's not a company that has novels. That's cool. Go to YouTube. You can look for lore videos on YouTube, and I would be shocked if you didn't find some. Uh, almost every game system has content creators out here putting in the good work, and uh, they will make lore videos talking about the faction and things that are cool about them. Uh, people like uh, Arvandis, Baltimore, Two Plus Tough, uh, and listening to them, they will really get you invested in the faction and hype you up to maybe write your own little piece of the narrative. Yeah, and you can grab inspiration from outside the settings as well, or like the games. Yes, like pulling maybe different mythologies you like. Maybe you've been reading a book series and you like a concept from this. Maybe it, it kind of ties into a concept from the setting and you want to like blend them and see what happens. Uh, maybe you've been reading like philosophy at school or something and you want to see, be like, well, what if you had an entire military force built around this philosophy? Um, stuff like that. Or like, history. crazy with it. Or history. Yeah, history. Uh, like, when I painted up my Death Corps Krieg, I looked at uh, French uniforms from World War One, like that. Not in the 40k rule books. It's purely pictures <laughs> from yeah. the First World War, and I got a whole lot of inspiration looking at photos of these men stuck in these trenches in these almost out of place blue frocks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you could find inspiration almost anywhere if you're looking for it. I think all of us as people, kind of, our minds are pulled in different directions and we have different proclivities. So, I mean, as you're listening to this, as I'm rattling off examples, you are probably thinking of places where you're like, you know, I would love to do something with X, Y, or Z. Immediately after you're done here, go engage with X, Y, or Z. Whatever that was that you thought about. Just engage with it. Um... Because if that's where your inspiration is, just go dig it up and see what you got. Because for us, that is kind of step one, is to get inspired by something. Because it's that inspiration that kind of drives the entire creative process. Uh, if you're not inspired to make a little story about something, I mean, could you phone it in and have one? Yeah, yeah, sure. But will you find it as fulfilling? 
In my experience, probably not. Now, let's assume that they've found some inspiration. John, what after you've found your inspiration and you've kind of you've stumbled across an idea, what do you like to do next? I try to come up with a name for that force. Um, I often fail at it. It's probably the thing that I struggle with the most is coming up with a cool enough sounding name. Because mm-hmm. uh, like I'll write very like interesting, well thought out short stories with like characterization and like deep philosophical and moral implications for the way they approach the situations. And then I'll name my dudes something like Ghost Facers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ghost Facers. And it's just I need to I need to work on that. Um, Good supernatural reference. So I love it. I try to you know get that out of the way soon, and then you know scrap it and redo it, scrap it and redo it until it, I'm happy with it. Um, but the next step I generally take, which is a little bit more lengthy, is writing up some quotes about that force from an outside perspective. I'll use an mm-hmm. example with what I've been working with recently, which has been an Imperial Guard regiment that I'm building from scratch. Um, I've been writing about them with like small, like two to three sentence quotes from inquisitors reading reports or observing them from an outside perspective or commissars, you know, observing them from an outside perspective or civilians. Uh, It's not the actual people doing the fighting or in the regiment. It is how other people are perceiving them based off the way that they act and how they do things. Now it differs from the rest of like imperial society. And that helps build like a basis in my head. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting next step. Um, and I think it's something I do subconsciously. Like it's not something like unlike you, I don't think I do that intentionally, but it just happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. As you're pondering, like, what do they do on the battlefield? You can't help but go, how do people react to them? Yeah. Um, and I think that help, can help you kind of tone in your flavor a little about whatever you're going for. Uh, so I think doing it intentionally is a great next step. Yeah. What I, what is more like natural for me is when I think of a, a force, I think about like the aesthetics, right? And I can I can envision mm-hmm. it. Uh, I'm not a great artist, so like I don't like draw it, but like I can envision it, and I uh, that kind of like push me in the direction that the rest of the force wants to go into. Mm-hmm. And, like, it helps with paint schemes. It helps with, like, conversions and stuff like that. And I think that's also... You can tell a lot of narrative based off of the conversions you do and the paint you do. It doesn't even necessarily mm-hmm. need to be written down. Like, you can just be like, well, why do these guys have, like, mottled blue coats? Well, they've got mottled blue coats because they, they... The planet they fight on most recently, like, the planet they learned... to to fight on and that they are currently still fighting on is like 70% night. So like a darker, cooler colors means they're less likely to you know, show up in the nighttime. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, boom, you've got a narrative there. Like that still counts. Yeah. Um, it can help in, it can help inform your paint choices and your uh, conversion choices. And I love that big fan. Uh, I think for me, after that, the next thing I do is I start thinking about the characters. Um, Because generally speaking, you don't have very many of them in a force. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And a lot of armies also, they kind of have like one or two always takes. Like characters that you're just going to have always no matter what. 
Because of what they bring to um, the force, utility-wise or buff-wise, or you might yeah. not have a lot of options. Exactly. So for a number of reasons. Like, for example, if you're playing Space Marines, you're always bringing a captain. Always. Always bringing a captain. Doesn't matter what you're fighting against, you're bringing a captain. So in that case, you might as well have a named captain. Or like, for example, Custodes, I've been writing one. Um, I know I am always going to bring a shield general. Can't help it. Always going to have one in Custodes. Because it's like your only HQ piece. So you have to have one. So I started to think about um, how do I want my general to be portrayed? Like, how do I want him to interact with the world? And uh, I'm going Shadow Keepers, which just for the record, I was doing before it was good. (laughs) Um, Everybody else was playing like Dreadhost for years while I was on the Shadow Keepers train. And now everyone's hopped on my train and it's way too crowded in here. Um, but in the lore of 40k, you know, there's this big place called the Imperial Palace. It's where the God Emperor sits on his golden throne. Uh, it's a huge fortress planet, essentially, where everyone's just trying to protect him. And the Custodes are the biggest, most elite, most armored, terrifying warriors that are unknowably alien and, uh, unhuman. Uh, but they have specific jobs. And the sub-faction in lore that I'm playing from is called the Shadow Keepers. Uh, they are custodies that don't wear, like, the big, fully gold, regal armor of their brothers. They wear mostly black, with some gold, and a splash of red for identification. And they live below the surface of the palace, in what they call the Black Vaults, which are these... You know, Arcotech magical cells that they use to hold horrendous abominations that have been found across the galaxy. Things that cannot be killed by anything that they know how to use. And if it can't be killed, and it's going to cause Lord knows how much harm, it has to be contained. It's kind of like a uh, 40k SCP facility uh, for people out there, if y'all know that fiction. Uh... And these horrible monsters have to be guarded. And the Shadow Keepers guard them and make sure that nothing leaves, ever. They stay in the vaults for eternity. Um, but, and like, don't get me wrong, that's a, that's a cool story. That's cool. That's cool. Um, but it kind of lacked uh, the ability to go outside the cells until the Great Rift opened, which was a big moment in 40k in modern history. A giant portal to the chaos world, like, ripped the galaxy in half. It was terrible. A whole bunch of awful stuff happened. But one of the things that they briefly mentioned was that when that opened, some of the, we'll call them uh, captives inside the vaults, some of them broke out and killed their captors and left. Even more terrifying, some of them never had to open the door and simply were gone when they went to be checked on. Just gone. Into thin air. And now are loose again. And for me, that's where my force sets in. They're going out to try to capture them. So we're trying to lock people up. Horrible abominations. Um, So I'm going to call my shield captain the Warden. And... Uh, he's gonna, I'm gonna give him a relic, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Is it, like, the Shackle of Eternity? 
But essentially, it's like a thing that you're meant to lock people up with. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you, I kind of picture a person who is already a little unhuman because of their custody, but their whole job is to carry this heavy magical shackle that is probably an uncomfortable burden. And they bear it because it, the alternative is too awful to imagine. Um, so when they show up, how would they probably project themselves? I bet they'd be quiet. Unerringly quiet. Uneasily yeah, quiet. Yeah, unnaturally silent. Uh, because they would hate to give away their position in the black cells in case something escaped. Um, which would be really off-putting because they're so big. Uh, and then, also, I think people would look at the shackle. And they would probably think the shackle is what is going to lock up the abomination. But rather, I think instead of the shackle being the piece of power, I, I think of it rather as a useful bobble. But really what suppresses these abominations are his will. Like when he enters a room, things feel heavier. It feels colder. And it's through his force of will alone and his belief of these beings and significance that they are shrunk enough to be recaptured. The shackle is just there for useful utility. But really, he's the weapon behind it. Uh, and I love that idea that it is, a, you know, this guy is almost as awful of a monster as the things he's catching. Um, I would hate to meet him. I would hate to be around him. But as a character, he would be utterly useful. Uh, and it, I think it's one of the things I'm going to use to kitbash him is I'm going to throw a bunch of chains around him to paint up. Uh, and Ooh, uh, go to Michael's just, and get those tiny little plastic chains that you can get. Yeah, 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 yeah. And glue them on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or maybe like cover his weapon in them. Could be cool. Uh, you could do the world leaders thing and tie the chain, tie his weapon to his arm, with with, with the, chain? the chains, yeah, with the eternity chain, yeah. Um, and I just once I have that character in my mind and he feels real, uh, like there's a certain point of creation when my brain goes, "Up, oh, that's a person." Uh, <laughs> once we hit that point, it's a real good pivot point to tell the rest of the force, because I think it's natural once you have your leader set up you can't help but ask well who would follow that person yeah, who would what would those soldiers look like yeah, who would fight the gates of hell themselves with this guy <laughs> like what kind of yes. person likes this person yeah exactly probably people who aren't very social who are dour who are filled with conviction but maybe not so much all the compassion uh you know people who are way more business than pleasure uh, you know, it tells a story about the Force, and they're probably all darker sort of beings just because of what they've seen, what they are forced to see day in and day out. And what they do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough job, and it's probably going to make some tough people. Uh, and I think you could do that with any army. Any army. If you start at the top, and you make your character feel real to you, and you give them a little motivation, you... You give them a purpose, a story, everybody else will kind of fill in around them. Uh, now here in this case, he actually doesn't have second in commands because we don't have that option in in the army. 
rumors say we actually might get a lieutenant character coming this December, which would be cool because I would love to have more than one HQ piece. Um, That'd be very cool. Very rad. That'd be, be very neat. Although in lore, actually, uh, who is in charge, according to the custodies, is irrelevant. They actually don't have sergeants or anything uh, in a squad. Whoever is, has the most experience in the current uh, task is just in charge. Like, there's no jockeying for a position or uh, seniority. Whoever has most experience gets lead. I mean, that makes the um, most sense. It's particularly with that force where they're all, like, the best of the best. Like, the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. Like, they... Why would they need someone telling them what to do? They all roughly know what the best thing to do is unless there's someone who's been in this situation before and knows the best thing because he's lived it. Yeah, I mean, they're the definition of, like, point me in a direction and leave me to do my job. Um, so, you know, it's a thing that informs the Force that, like, all of them are really mini-leaders. Uh, so for this guy to be who they want to follow, he's got to be even more impressive. Um, you know, whereas if you're writing about Imperial Guard, maybe your leader is sort of uh, really impressive, but their troops are nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> they're, you know, they're flunk outs, they're awful, they're almost rejects, they're damn near in the penal legion, um, but the will of this leader keeps them in check, you know? You've, your force is probably going to have a whole wide array of options, and whichever one appeals to you, I'd say put it on your leader, and then see what that does for the way you view the force. Immensely helpful. Yeah, there's... It's all sorts of ways. And that's that's something else. Is some forces and some factions are open to uh, narrative more than others. Like custodies, you can't make a, a huge horde of custodies that are dying in droves and are all about self-sacrifice in massive quantities like the Krieg. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't do that with custodies. Just, but you could do that with guard. Guard are one of those forces that you can do anything right you Mm -hmm. can make them specialized you can make them like bastards uh i'm gonna try to not make bastards this time i'm gonna try to write not write bastards that's my challenge not write bastards you you do have a you do have a lot of bastards yeah i need to make less bastards i don't know i love killing your bastards though big fan i I can't wait to kill your cruel boys i cannot wait great oh why Um, do i like playing bastards so much (laughs) I don't know, John, that's for professionals to figure out, but I don't have the license. (laughs) But, I mean, once you think about your broad strokes, y'all, and you think about your leader, everything else is probably just going to fall into place. Uh, And before you know it, as long as you keep your inspiration up, maybe you go back to your inspiration sources a few times, you're going to have your force ready. At least that's how we do it, and it works great. So, John... I guess to wrap this whole thing up, if we know what we mean by narrative and we know how we make narratives and we've given examples, you know, why do we think it's fun to do this or why do we think it's important? I think some of this we already touched on, but I think it's good to drive it home here towards the end. Well, I think the biggest reason why I think it's important to do it before you start sitting down and play games is and to have it like in your head is that when you're comparing forces with your opponent, um, especially if they're like your friends and you're trying to build a narrative, it's easier to like construct a scenario as to why this fight is happening and why these objectives matter and then have a talk after the game's over with the results and be like, this 
is what we created together. Like, this is the scenario mm-hmm. we made. This is the scene. This is how it works. And let that educate further games. And it can create this almost campaign-like structure without actually having to add campaign rules if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And it's just very good. It's it's very fun, and it adds another level to the game of more than just my guys fight your guys. It is my guys fight your guys, and we're telling a story, and it allows you to kind of invest yourself into the story and not so much into the win and lose aspect of playing the game. Yeah, because, I mean, like, it's happened to me before. We're like, oh, man, like, I lost the game. That sucks. But, like, this one guy held the pass by himself. Um. I was playing uh, Stormcast Eternals against my wife, and uh, I think I actually won it, but like it wasn't a very satisfying win. Um, but I had my squad of five little dudes get attacked by her horrible monsters, and they killed four of the five squad except for the last guy. And for three rounds, that one guy held up the entire tide of monsters. He held it by himself. And that little story that just evolved on the board that I didn't write, she didn't write, that just happened, really made that game feel great. (laughs) Even if, like, the win wasn't satisfying or even if you lose. You could still walk away with something. Almost like a consolation prize. A kick-ass consolation prize. I think it's great. Um, It can also inform, like, kit bashes in the future. You know, for the past few weeks, we talked about our game, big game day and how, like, the trees are just the bane of orcish existence, apparently. Sylvaneth just beat orcs. Uh, I'm probably going to make a Tree Lord Ancient or Spirit of Durthu now that is covered in dead orc bodies. Um, like, hanging from his branches. Because he is the bane of orcs. Like, he is orc death incarnate. Um, and that is a really cool kit bash and it only happened because I came in with a story and so did they and we played it out and saw where it went and where it went was a bunch of murder. (laughs) And now I have a cool hobby project that I get to do because of it and it didn't cost me any extra money. I didn't have to go out and spend more to make it happen. It just did. And if you can get more fun for free, why not? Just... Why not? And, I mean, we kind of talked about it before, but it also, you know, it is another collaborative thing that you can have with your friends. And uh, it's another way that y'all can engage with the hobby together. If you're having game days, it can inform your entire story for the little event. Uh, You know, you can choose one of your friend's forces to be like your arch nemesis, and it makes those matchups much more enjoyable. Um, All around, I just... Y'all, I can't recommend it enough. Unless you're someone who just really doesn't care for story at all, in which case, you know, you could pass it up and won't hurt you. But the only thing I would ask of you is that you don't poo-poo on other people's narrative party if they're having one. Yeah, uh, we've. I mean, and even then, like, I, I spent a long time not writing my own narrative and just playing bad guys that were, like, blanket, mustache-twirling evil guys... And uh, let my friends who had very cool narratives for their, like, hero characters just kill me. That's why I, ran, I was a DM for Dungeons & Dragons for so long. Still am. 
Like you can just. I was gonna say, when did we stop? Yeah, you can just <laughs> do that instead. Like if you don't have a big motivation to like write a bunch of narrative for your guys, like oh, I just want to play a game, just play a game. And then if you lose, you can be like, yeah, uh, I lost because I'm playing the bad guys. If you win, you can be like, ah, the bad guys won this time. Looks like the new guys need to get some new tricks. Like the good guys need to get some tricks and learn how to overcome the struggle. Help them Mm -hmm. with their narrative. Yeah. I mean, you can act as an interesting plot beat for them, even if you aren't writing a narrative yourself. Um, And I think that's a real cool dude way to engage if you don't want to, you know, get involved. But for people out there listening... Man, I gotta ask, what narratives did y'all write for your forces, and how did you get there? Um, I'm always kind of interested to see if my brain or John's brain works similar to lead to other people's process, and uh, I would love to hear how y'all made your narratives, what they are, and uh, you know what inspired you to do it. And uh, you could send that to us in the comment section down below if you're on YouTube or if you're elsewhere. Reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Love to talk to people over there. Um, or maybe we missed something. Maybe there's some cool steps that would have been vital to add, and we just didn't think of them. If so, send that our way, too. We'd love to uh, hear about it, and we're always looking to improve. But for now, John, I think that's been all of our opinions. And they've been bona fide and Kentucky Fried. See y'all on the next one. <laughs>